0: My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children, and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue, or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. It's also important to note that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs and theirs alone. Not everyone will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say. So please try and keep that in mind. Today's podcast is my guest's version of events, and there'll always be others who see it differently. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime, from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on all those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this my own podcast. I still pinch myself. But thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime.
1: They have loved their children, they've provided for their children, they have bent over backwards for their children and they still go off the rails. It is not just poor socioeconomic families and that have their kids go off the rails.
0: Jane's only child, Zach, is currently in jail, serving a four-year, nine-month term of imprisonment as a result of a crash where he was 21 years old, driving while suspended, stoned, drunk and speeding, with four passengers in the car, all of whom, including Zach, received serious injuries, but they lived. In a way, he's really fortunate because he lived to be able to say sorry to try and gain the trust and respect back from his brokenhearted mum, his dad, his stepfather and his friends. And he can try and make right in some way the wrongs that he readily admits he's caused. And you know, I can't lie, that makes me bloody angry. And initially, I was hesitant to interview Jane. Because I don't know, Zach, I don't know if he will change his behaviour and he will be a better person when he's released. And what about the people he injured? To be honest, I get a bit sick of hearing the same stories time and time again. And so many crashes are caused by people who shouldn't be driving anyway. So why is Zach any different? Well, I read Zach's sentencing comments where the judge believed that Zach was genuinely remorseful and he had a better than average chance of rehabilitating. And I've got to say, after reading a draft copy of Jane and Zach's book that they've written together, WTF, Why the Fallen, I'm with the judge. But what I'm not with the judge about is his description of Zach's upbringing as difficult Zach's upbringing wasn't difficult by any stretch. He was absolutely showered with love and devotion by his mum in particular, but many others as well. He had so much, but he still went off the rails in major fashion. Drugs, alcohol, truancy, thieving, homelessness, abusive, volatile relationships. I suppose my point here is that you don't have to be born into an abusive household or parents with issues to go off the rails. Today's podcast is about the unwavering, unconditional love of a mother and a son whose jail term has provided him with another chance at life, a chance for redemption. So with that intro, Jane, thank you so much for coming on today and uh, to tell a very difficult story, but I suppose, unfortunately, one that needs to be told.
1: Of course, it needs to be told because these senseless, preventable deaths on our roads can be, we do need to talk about it because there's so many issues around why Zach is where he is, but there's also the fact is you can turn your life around. But hopefully our example and our book will show people, perhaps put them on a different path before they end up where Zach is in jail or dead, or killing an innocent person, which we don't want to see.
0: Uh, No, we don't, Joan. We don't. And look, I suppose what I'm going to do first is I'm going to start at the end initially because something occurred very recently which I thought we'd start off with. So can you tell us why Saturday the 10th of April just gone was such a momentous occasion in your life oh
1: yeah very emotional um when covid hit last year um obviously prison visitation was shut down the last time i saw zach the last time i gave him a hug was on the 7th of march 2020 and yes i finally have been able to visit him and you know, yes, we had to physically distance and we had to wear a mask, but I did get to hug him, and I can tell you, having him in my arms, I, I just I felt whole again. I mean, it's thirteen months, and that's a long time not to not to see your your only
0: child. It's hard to imagine, Jane. And, and so after you know you got yourself together with seeing Zach uh, on the tenth. Can you tell us what else you did? Like, as I said, once you got over all the emotion, what did you do? Well,
1: this was the first time I was able to visit Zach out at Nalu. So he's at Fulham Correctional Centre in Sale. And he, after a while, he went out to Nalu. He was rated a C-class prisoner, I think it is. He had to go back into the mainstream prison earlier this year in January to do his drug and alcohol courses, and he's been out, back out at Nalu. So it's basically, um, you know, it doesn't have the, the razor wire and, you know, they live in... Cottages with three others, and they have their own kitchen and laundry and bedroom, and they have to cook for themselves and do their own laundry. And Zach works in the nursery and tends to the garden beds, and it's much, it's a much more relaxed. Real life environment out of there, but you've got to obviously be no risk of violence or escape or whatever. So, this is the first time I've been able to visit him out there. And he was able to, he cooked spaghetti carbonara and a chocolate self sourcing pudding with whipped cream. And he was able to bring that to the visitor's room. And, and, and like I was really, it was, it was, it was a really, um, far more relaxing sort of visit rather than the it, – it, it's – to describe visiting Zach in jail, oh, um, yeah, it definitely wasn't on my bucket list um, and not my proudest moment. Um, never thought I'd see my son there or be visiting a loved one there. But you are treated like a criminal, you know, someone not to be trusted – you know, you, you, you I've had my you know I've been drug swabbed. I've had my car, you know, um, checked. I've been sniffed by sniffer dogs, and you, you know, the fact that you're you're visiting someone that's there, you're you just looked at differently, and it's not a pleasant experience. But I I have to say it, it was it was a lot nicer, not just because I hadn't seen my son for thirteen months, but it's just a far more sort of relaxed environment. It's not, yeah, um, that that sort of toxic, yeah, in the mainstream visiting visiting situation. So it was good. It was really good.
0: And Jane, had uh, could Zach cook before he went inside? <sighs> what um, two minute noodles?
1: <laughs> And, you know, the thing thing is because I always involve Zach in cooking, but he just obviously eating wasn't a big priority for him when he was, you know, obviously in the throes of addiction and he was 60 kilos when he went into prison. He's now 92 kilos of pure muscle and health. And he is like the male Martha Stewart in there now. It's just, it,
0: it blows my mind. Oh, and and we're going to go through what you've been through, but just such a contrast, isn't it, from, let's say, uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, but let's go back to that three or four years ago um, to the start, which will put you, uh, the um, occasion of going to see uh, Zach in jail into some sort of perspective. And as like I said in my intro, I wouldn't call Zach's upbringing difficult. In fact, If I was you, the judge's comments would have offended me greatly. And to be totally honest, reading the judge's comments made me a bit hesitant or very hesitant actually in contacting you because I really didn't think I'd like the person that the judge described. It didn't paint you in a very good light at all. But I'm so glad that I got over that because just talking to you on the phone I reckon within about 30 seconds I thought to myself this is not the woman that the judge described in Zach's sentencing remarks and I, and I suppose it just proves that you should never ever take anyone's word about anything and you go and find out for yourself and you know I still don't understand how the judge could have got it so wrong but anyway uh, he only knows what he's told. Um, so how did you react to those comments, Jane? I was devastated, actually, Narelle. I um,
1: I mean, look, having your dirty laundriette in public and under, you know, those circumstances was bad enough. And and really, Zach's lawyers told me he, even though he, no one died, he didn't kill anyone or whatever, he was going to jail. He was going to do a prison term. And I don't know whether I'd, I'd even come to terms with it at that point. Um, but being, out, being made out to be, you know, a mother that wasn't coping, you know, a, an alcohol abuser, um, it was actually, it was offensive and it was factually incorrect. I, I actually turned to my girlfriend at Zach's hearing and said, anyone listening to this who doesn't know me would think I was the worst mother in the world and that Zach's life had been dreadful. Hopefully, our book sets that straight. And I, I, and obviously, you've read it now or read the, the first pass edit of the manuscript. And but at the end of the day, I could sit there and say nothing. I wanted to scream, but I could say nothing. And I just, and, and the fact was, I was incredibly numb, and I was just really just trying to hold myself together. So I just, as you say, the judge can only go on what he's told and perhaps Zach's barrister because we'd been estranged for six months prior and so I don't know what Zach said in his psychological evaluation and I, you know, I don't know what, I mean I guess his lawyer was maybe trying to paint a picture. You see it all the time on the news. Oh, poor child, it's been, you know, it's had a terrible upbringing, parents this and that. You know, there was no doubt about it. When my marriage broke down, it was very difficult and it wasn't a a nice environment Um, and it took a while to sell our property so that we could separate. But at the end of the day, you know, um, gee, my dad's on his fourth wife, so, you know, and I didn't end up in prison, so I'm just – so I became a single mum again and um, it was tough because Zach was getting expelled from schools and I'd have to get him into another one and, you know, and he was – when, when we, when I finally did actually separate, and I, my ex-husband and I, actually moved to different places, I opened a gate for Zach that I inadvertently couldn't close because I could not keep him in school. I could not keep him at home. He'd just climb out the window or walk out the front door when I was asleep. Um, and as a single mother with a, like a six foot two, 15 year old, that. I mean, we're mothers, we're nurturing, we're loving. We, we can't um, physically restrain our sons. And there was just no help for me. Uh, there was no support at all. And he could go couch surfing, he could just disappear, and I could drive the streets, I could check the, the, the railway stations, and sometimes it was days, sometimes it was weeks, until I'd get a call from the police that they'd picked him up doing something wrong. And, of course, being underage, I'd have to go and um, be present when he was interviewed and fingerprinted and photographed. And then I'd bring him home and, of course, he'd be very apologetic and then the same thing would happen. And I'd like to know how that could be changed in the future for parents like me because it, it, it was just impossible.
0: Look, uh- and, and you're right, Jane. And, and after you you said before, and it's true, that you uh, gave me a draft of the book that you and Zach have both written, which we will talk about at some stage during this podcast. But I've got to say that um, in that book, Zach um, had an upbringing that many other kids only dream of. You know, so, you yes, like you're saying, so his parents argued, yep, his mum repartnered, his biological father didn't have much to do with him. And and as sad as it is, he's not the Lone Ranger in that respect. He didn't seem to take the separation of you and your ex-husband, Tony, well. In fact, from my point of view, that's when he appeared to start going off the rails. So, so can you tell us about that?
1: I actually think it was before that, Narelle, um, and I've often wondered – whether taking him back to Europe, because Zach spent his first and second birthdays. I came, I fell pregnant when I was in Europe. His biological father's from Morocco, and I met him when I was working in Brussels. And um, I came when I found out I was pregnant. I came home to have him in Australia, and but I went back to work um, back overseas when he was ten months old. So he had his first and second birthday um, over there. And but when my grandma got. Hill, I came back. She was my world and I wanted her to know her, her only great-grandchild and Zach, him. So I came back when, um, you know, Zach was about two and a half. But his biological father, who, who did come to Melbourne for his birth, had just had no contact. He didn't want anything to do. But I found out that he had a half-sister, obviously, with his biological father and another mother. And so I was taking Zach out of school for a term to go traveling. And I I let him meet his father when he was 10 and his half sister. And he fell in love with them. And I, I just wonder whether it was a mistake because when, when this sperm donor, as I like to call him, um, never contacted Zach again or sent him a card, I mean, my son was devastated, you know. He, he just couldn't wrap that around his, his little brain and I tried to call but the number was disconnected and whatever. And I think that, I don't know. Look, I know I did the right thing and he, he, has a, he still has a relationship with, with his half-sister. They're very close. And, um, but I, I do think that that part of it was the start of it. in in
0: hindsight. And and look, Jane, uh, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but I think surely that we could say that at the time we all do things where we think at the time we're doing the right thing. At the time you thought, and I must admit I can see that, I, I would think, yeah, he needs to, it would be good for him to meet his biological father, his sister, like, I I don't think you should be too hard on yourself thinking that maybe I shouldn't have. Um yes. As well, he I said, knew right he knew,
1: like he knew um his dad, the man that I was married to, um, who's really been the only dad he's had. He he knew of his biological father. I'd shown him pictures and but he was an only child and my ex husband was quite a bit older than me and we we were never gonna have any more children. So Zach was always going to be an only child and I think that you know, I think it's important that he met his half sister, and it is because they, oh, they're two little peas in a pod, and, um, and he's got about 150 cousins over there, you know, <laughs> over in Europe and all around. So, you know, I just wanted him to have that sense of his of his roots, so for him to understand himself a little bit better. But you know, maybe it backfired a little bit earlier on.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it did, but uh, I suppose I'm just repeating myself. I suppose that I, but I do think you did the best at the time. So, when we talk about him going off the rails, can you tell us? um, You said you started to notice you were losing control of him. Was it around 10 or 12? What can you tell us about what happened?
1: No, it was around about the time he was 13. um, And, I just started noticing, you know, this beautiful, bright, happy boy who I could talk to. Like we were, we've always been very, very close and I started, and, and look, I, I guess a lot of parents that feel that their kids withdraw at a certain age when the hormones start kicking in, he just, he started to be sort of moodier and aggressive and he'd, he'd smash things. Like, you know, he'd go out and he'd break the pellets that Hay sits on and, and you know, I think they're called chet pallets or whatever. Oh,
0: the wooden, those wooden things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. He literally just,
1: I'd start, I saw sort of not, uh, holes in, in the walls and, you know, it there, He. It was just so dramatic and just getting into trouble at school. He was always in detention and um, I just, yeah, I mean, I really felt like drugs might have been involved. I'm a little bit of a Sherlock Holmes, he'll tell you that. Um, and I'm, I'm a present mother, so I, I went investigating and I did find drug paraphernalia and, yeah, I did, and I found marijuana and I thought, right, well, okay, now I understand that finding that just made him angrier and then more, more sort of deceitful in hiding it.
0: When when you found that, did you feel angry? Did you feel disappointed? Were you shocked? Like, Both. Okay. And how did you respond with uh, Zach?
1: Well, because I had my mother living with me, with me at the time and I'd you know, to give Zach some space, I had two double garages on either end of the house and the one behind my bedroom was empty. So I made that into a really like nice room for Zach with a big living area and desk space and sort of, um, you know, bed and I put some old sort of carpet on the floor. And so because he was sort of getting to that age where, big mistake because I couldn't keep an eye on him so he was able to sort of get away with it and then when I found this I said right that's it you're moving back into the house I can't you can't be trusted and you know you haven't taken this privilege seriously and he actually spat in my face and stomped off calling me well the nastiest possible things that any mother would want to be or ever not want to be called by her child um which broke my heart you know I mean this is where you, this this thing that you, person that you bring into the world and that you love, and you nurture. Sorry, um, okay. To, to to hear them, or I mean, to have your beautiful child spit in your face, I, I will never, I'll never get over that. Like it was just awful.
0: I'm. Mm. Um, I- I must admit, Jane, I've had um, in my career, I had um, a person spit in my face and I don't think I've ever, ever lost it so much in all my life. I lost it. I lost um, it. I lost yeah. it yeah. But for your son to spit in your face, oh, my goodness, Jane, I don't know what to say.
1: Yeah, so it was a roller coaster because he kept getting expelled from school. Um, I'd have to, I mean, he's been to some of the best private schools in, in Victoria and um, I was trying to get him out of a toxic situation and he, he being an only child, he didn't want to be on the the equestrian property I had and he he, I don't know whether it was sort of the fantasy of watching Harry Potter and boarding school. Weather. But he was like, you know, I want to go to boarding school because I want to be around other kids and stuff. And so that was fine. But he got bullied and 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 this is something that I found out later, like he's a wonderful musician and, and has been composing and writing songs since he was seven. And when he sang and played guitar at the first boarding school, you know, they called him gay and worse um, and he – I mean, he's a gorgeous-looking boy, so he was popular with the girls, which made him unpopular with the boys. And they they were relentless, and he started self-harming and I think was put in the two hard baskets. So he was expelled, and then halfway through Term 2, i am I'm to pick him up, and what do I do then? And I got him, took him to the doctor and got referred to a psychologist and all of that type of stuff and having to get him back into another school and he wanted to go to another boarding school and then he finished year nine and halfway through term two and year ten he, he got caught selling cigarettes at a, in his uniform at another school, um, you know, and entrepreneurial but stupid, right? And it got expelled again and it's like, oh, my God, the drive of shame, crying all the way home trying to, having to find another school and you know, and so when the property sold and I moved to where I am now, as I said, I opened this gate that I inadvertently couldn't close because on the property you couldn't get a bus. And if you wanted to just run away from home, it was a bloody long walk, right? To anywhere. So but where I am now, I mean you can walk to the train station or the bus or and that's what he did. He just kept taking off. So that's that was where and, – and, and, of course, I was a single mother again with my mother living with me and then trying to work and whatever. And, and I guess I didn't have that sort of male as much as I'd tried to get my friends, husbands or male people involved in Zach's life, like his guitar teacher and whatever. You know, I didn't have that – I mean, as a mother you can be all things, but you can't be – man <laughs> and that sort of man code, that sort of, you know, and Zach wasn't really interested in sport. You know, he was more a musical type of, arty type of person. He, he just, believe me, I'm a Tiger supporter. He went to Kick and all of that. Yeah. I, he's had tennis lessons and oh, he, so, I've tried every everything like that, but he just wasn't into that. Um and then as a single mother again, I just yeah, I just could only do what I could do. And and I think by the time I actually did move, he was already quite addicted to, to drugs. I mean the extent the extent of which I, I didn't know because of course they they just hide so much from you. They, they 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 will literally lie so convincingly convincingly to your face, and and you know you want to believe them because they're your children.
0: But that's what an that's what an addiction does, doesn't it? It it makes people lie to cover uh, and tell terrible things to cover their addiction, and they will do anything and do terrible. Things. Yeah, yeah. You're right, and another thing is that you know I think to myself, what else could you have done? Because you know, as you say, it's not like he was selling those cigarettes to the other kids at other schools because he needed the money. Because no, he did. Ha- no, I'd have to say, from what I've read, um, it was—you'd almost call it a privileged upbringing. Like, he you know, did. It- he had a privileged
1: upbringing. You know, he's travelled the world. He's been privately school-educated right from ELC 3, 4. Um, he, you know, he's had guitar lessons and singing lessons and he's been to concerts. And, I mean, he really has had not, we're not, never been like super, super wealthy, but I'd say I, I've been. Um, comfortable. Comfortable, very comfortable and, you know, so and and that's the thing and that's what I want parents to understand and there'll be plenty out there that listen to this and read our book that have been pulling their hair out like I have. You know, they've loved their children, they've provided for their children, they have bent over backwards for their children and they still go off the rails. It is not just poor socioeconomic families and that have their kids go off the rails and look I'll be honest I've judged I no longer judge my, my son is in prison but I've seen the news and said oh where are the parents the kids are off the rails you know they've had no discipline they've had you know Zach had all of that and anyone that met Zach would would say he was the most beautifully mannered kid yeah. and but it, it, it happens, and that's the thing. It's the friends that he got involved with, well, or the people that he thought were his friends. Um, later on, it was the girlfriends that he chose that were very toxic, and that culture of binge drinking and drug-taking, you know, thinking it's cool, and, and then ending up on a slippery slope that, that, well, in Zach's case, has resulted in in him Spending a, a good chunk of his early twenties in prison.
0: You know, I don't think we can uh, press enough the um, the result. What can happen? I'm just thinking back to what you said about him being bullied at school. Yes, and and I think that's why we've we have got to. There's a lot of things we have to fix as a community, but the bullying of kids. Um, is just like I don't know, you know. I don't know you and Zach, um, but I think why was he bullied? W- like, what what were the kids? Because kids are him cruel. Because- kids are cruel. I remember being at school;
1: it was awful. I mean, I went to I went to a you know a girls' high school. Um, oh, absolute nastiness! And and the thing is. When I went to school, we didn't have mobile phones and social media and all of that. That you know, when you left school, if you didn't get a smack in the head on the way on the way out, when you got home, you were basically you could go to bed at night and sleep soundly, a bit afraid of what was going to happen the next day. But now you they're just getting harassed and bullied. Even when they're in their own bedrooms, it's so bad, and it—I don't understand why kids have to be so mean to each other. It, it's um, yeah, it's sad.
0: Yeah, it's um, it is, and and I suppose also for Zach to be sort of mucking up, let's say, well, pretty big time, really, for a thirteen-year-old. Um, you know, I think to myself sometimes that's that's all started. Um, generally, you'd have to say at school. I mean, I, be, because yeah. So, so the, the real the real
1: bullying started when he was fourteen, like that year nine. Um, and then I, when he got expelled um, from in year nine, and I had to get him into in, another school to finish year nine, and then. He got expelled in year ten, and I actually got him into an international school in the city. Another big mistake, you know. Like I went to this school when it was in the in the Albert Park Taylor's College, and um, I can say the name of this school because uh, they did move to a, the city block, but they've closed down altogether. Um, and you know, he could catch the train from Lilydale Lill- to Flinders Street, and then just walk walk a block. Um, but the problem is, what was lurking at Flinders Street Station, or what Zach sought out, um, was a, a group of people that, um, yeah, were obviously doing drugs. And I mean, look, honestly, Narelle, and, he, and as I said, he'd lie to my face, and then I'd see him on the six o'clock news. I, I'd get calls that he was wagging school, and I saw him on the six o'clock news, at, you know, at a, a rally. Pro marijuana off his bloody face, talking to a, a Nine News reporter like good one, Zach. You leave a trail, Stevie Wonder could bloody follow, and, and you know. So I mean, yeah, I, yeah. You know, I can I can giggle about it now a little bit, but um, you know, there were there were signs. Like you know, I couldn't. Um, I bought this extra long hose to to water near my front door, and I'm like. Why can't I reach these plants anymore? And I'm thinking, is it stuck around like a pot plant or has it got a kink in it? And, and it's like this bloody hose is shrinking until I found a Coke bottle with a piece of my hose sticking out of it and realised that he was cutting off bits of my hose at a time making bongs and just, oh, just, you know. I, um, Zach, Zach was a challenge. Let me just say that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and like you know, you're sending them to all these private schools, and it's it's obviously not about uh, it's not about money. It's do you think he had some sort of um, an an addictive personality?
1: For sure, and he actually talks about that in the book. You know, um, he he had an he, his words. I had. I had an addictive person, like uh, an addiction, like a, a car needs a driver, I needed an addiction. Um, now his addiction is Jim, as he calls it, a junkie's salvation. Um, and he's been able to have a positive addiction for the first time in his life. But for sure, he, you know, he's had an addictive personality. But I think that it's also that peer pressure of... When you're in that bad circle of so-called friends, you, they're encouraging that that abuse and that bad behaviour. And we talk about that in the book because it, it is a real problem: the bullying and the peer pressure of, of our of our kids. It, it that's all part of why they make the bad decisions that they do.
0: I remember reading in the um, the draft you sent me where. You felt that Zach uh, got off lightly when he began coming to the attention of police with his punishment, and which you, I think, you described as like a slap on the wrist. So, what sort of punishment do you think that might have had more impact rather than a slap on the wrist for what Zach was getting in trouble for? Well,
1: gee, that's a difficult question, and because you know, obviously, I'm not involved in youth justice or. Understand that you know the court's decision-making processes. Um, should Jack should Zach have gone to to juvie for minor offences like stealing alcohol or getting caught doing drugs? Probably not. Um, I can tell you, I made him go to the businesses he stole from and apologise and pay the money back that he owed, which they were quite surprised about. Um, I think. He should have been made to do some community service. And perhaps a, a consequence of, of drinking underage and, and doing drugs should be that you can't get your learners at 16 or your licence at 18. Um, I feel like there has to be repercussions for that for that behaviour, especially when the possible outcomes of getting behind the wheel of a car under the influence are so often catastrophic, as we see on the news all the time. And I think if you're showing a pattern of behaviour like that in your teens before you even get your learners, I mean, Zach actually, you know, his book is brutally honest to the point of incre- almost incriminating himself further. But-
0: I, felt, I felt he was admirably honest.
1: But but reading that he turned up to a driving lesson st- off his face, stoned and, and stalled because I made him have driving lessons in a manual car and he stalled it three times getting out of the station, you know, and he said, you may think this is funny and I used to too until I did what I did and I ended up here. Um, you know, like, hello, he shouldn't have been, and I probably shouldn't have been even letting him have driving lessons. In retrospect, you know. So I don't look. I'm not. I'm not in law enforcement, but I tell you, um, there has to be, there has to be um, bigger consequences for our teens in their decision making than just going to children's court and going on a ropes course or which Zach did, there is juvie, but that's full of young people that are real, like, you know, robbing and carjacking and just terrible things. I'm not sure whether being in that environment would have changed Zach back then so that he didn't end up in prison. I don't know. I just don't have the answers because it's all, I know that Zach has taken the got on the wrong train, he's taken the long way around to get to exactly where he needs to be now. And he has found a gift that he didn't even know he had with the written word, and that wouldn't have happened unless he had have gone to prison and, and to have had all the time, like the time that he's had to actually be sober, like clean. And and he he, he could be taking drugs in prison. They're readily available. He's actually said, that's how I ended up here and I'm not going to be taking any, you know, not even antidepressants, not even anything to help me sleep. I'm just going to have to deal with this and and figure out how to be comfortable in my own skin and live in my own head and he's sought counselling. And I think in the writing of the pages of our book, it's been very cathartic for him and it's built a bridge for us back together again because we've been estranged.
0: It certainly appears like that from reading it. You know, just talking then about the punishment, like prior to the crash, um, which we'll get to in a minute, Zach's licence had been suspended and, and he shouldn't have even been driving. But this happens time and time again. So many young people, or not even young, like so many people ignore the directions, say, given by the courts or the police and they continue to drive. Well, that's it. He'd lost his licence
1: for demerit points.
0: And I I think just
1: taking their license off them for three months or whatever, or six months because they've got too many speeding fines or they've got, you know, they've run too many red lights or whatever, that's not enough. They need to go to the spinal ward at the hospital, see the catastrophic results of people that have survived being T-boned by a speeding idiot um, and their legs up there with. Rods sticking out everywhere, or you know they're in a wheelchair for the rest of their life. It's not just you know I, I just think they ne- there needs to be a little bit more of a shock tactic here.
0: yeah, I, I agree, and you know, I was thinking to myself, they have an interlock device for, you know, uh, people that have been done for drink driving. And I think to myself, why can't we have some sort of a, an interlock device where they can't drive a car because they're suspended? Look, I don't know how you would ever do that. But we've got to do something because so many crashes are happening and accidents are happening because people are driving when they shouldn't even be in the car.
1: Well, that's exactly right. And look, with the way technology is going, I don't think that that's out of the realms of possibility in the near future, some type of, I mean, I, I'm sure when Zach comes out of prison, um, for, you know, once he's served his earliest minimum non-parole period, he'll have an ankle bracelet for the remainder of the two years and three months. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's going to be another whole learning curve you know what that's going to be like, but we'll, we'll just cross that bridge when I come to it. But there's, I, I'm 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 a technological dinosaur, Narelle, so I can't offer any solutions there. But look, at the end of the day, the fact that we're talking about it, and the fact that you know, look, my son is alive. I'm very lucky to have him. I know many parents that aren't, and also, I mean, you you look at this this recent situation with those those beautiful kids that were just walking to get an ice cream and Zach was, we were speaking about it the other day and the driver that mowed them down got 21 years, I think. Yeah,
0: saw that. Mm.
1: Zach said, that's not even enough, Mum, for 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 the, for the loss of those lives. But, but I mean, for, uh, my heart bleeds for, for that boy's parents, you know, because I, I saw them on the news. They're good parents. That he has ruined their lives. He, he has ruined his own life, and and he's he has destroyed. He's taken these you know young lives before they even had a chance to live theirs. And so this this is why Zach and I have have written this book. Zach got to live through some miracle because when you see that, that the, the crash. Um, it is unbelievable that anyone survived and i feel like the reason was to to make amends and to try and do everything he can and i will do everything i can to try and stop this from continuing to happen and i, I we can't reach everyone and we can't save everyone but we we can at least try can
0: try yeah uh- In uh, the book, I read the letter that Zach wrote to you one Mother's Day when he was really mucking up and he was really out of control. And it seemed so heartfelt and genuine, and this is well before he went inside, but that's what concerns me about his writings while he's inside now. He's got such a beautiful way with words. So why do we think that he's going to come out a different person? Because after reading his chapters, I believe it too. I believe he's he's going to come out a different person. But I can't help thinking, but what if? You know, he's always been sorry about hurting you and disappointing you. He's written that to you. But he returned to his old ways and his old friends time and time again. So what's the difference this time? I suppose just being inside and having so much time, is it, to think about what he's done? or? Well, I think...
1: I think the best person to answer that would be Zach, and I'm sure he will talk to you when he gets out. Um, From my perspective, he probably really was never really off the drugs, you know. He just just hid hid it better. He managed it better, you know. Um, So, you know, from my perspective – when he gets out, he would have spent two and a half years in prison, which despite what the general public think is not a holiday camp. You know, he'll, um, he'll then have strict parole conditions for the remainder of his sentence, two years and three months. He's, he's had a chance to be sober for all that time and, and learn what makes him tick. As I said, he's sought counselling. He hasn't written what he thinks I or anyone else wants to hear. In our book, Narelle, it, it's quite the opposite.
0: It certainly doesn't seem that way, and that's what I mean. Yeah, his accounts of his
1: life, his mistakes, his decision making, or you know, lack thereof, clearly, his crash, his friendships, relationships, and his time in prison, are uh, they're brutally honest. They're harrowing, even, and, and utterly raw. And I can tell you, it's it's so difficult for me as his mother. To, to read, and I can't imagine a single parent reading this book without shedding a tear from a parent's perspective. I think it will scare a lot of parents because they might see see some signs that they've been missing, but Zach does not paint a pretty picture, you know, and it is for no other reason than, than to deter others from going down that road. And also, Narelle, he, he realises he almost killed four other people and himself. He now knows how catastrophic that, that decision to drive that night could have been.
0: Actually, while we're – that's a very good segue into that, Jane. Could you tell us about the day of Zach's crash and the aftermath?
1: Oh, <sighs> yes. I, I mean, of course I can never forget it. Um, you know that that weekend, so, is a big one for us because it was a year since we moved to from my partner's place to back to my my house, and um, so we we were up celebrating, and and Jeff, my partner's birthday, was the next day on the tenth of december and our our third year anniversary was the 11th so it's always quite a big weekend and zach had come over on the friday and he, he wasn't in a good way uh, he, he as i said he was in this really toxic relationship and I, i've actually still got it i sent him a text at about seven fifty six p.m and i said don't have a blowout tonight zach you know be sensible call me tomorrow like whatever it was and I don't know whether I had a premonition, but um, Jeff and I were dancing, and it was one thirty in the morning. We'd, we'd, it was a beautiful, balmy night, and we'd been out in the swimming pool, and we we're listening to music, and and our German Shepherd was going crazy uh, at the front door, and um, and I sort of went to the front door, and I looked through, and I could see flashlights, and um, And I just opened the door, I said, you know, who's out there and what the bloody hell do you think you're doing? And the next thing I heard was Jane Jones. And, I I mean, I just, I've had a lot of police turn up at my door and you always feel sick, but this, I just, I knew something bad had happened in that moment. And when they came to the door, um, they said, your son's axe had a horrific crash. It's he's alive, so are the passengers we don't know how uh, uh, my knees buckled Jeff caught me actually before I hit the ground and um, I just I mean obviously we'd been drinking so that you know I had to catch an uber uh, they intimated um, that you know he'd been speeding and that drugs and alcohol were involved and I just yeah I just um uh, yeah, you know, I just got myself together obviously you know a taxi came and he was at the St Vincent's Hospital and I remember walking around the corner and there were six uniformed police officers standing outside a, a cubicle um, in the emergency and I thought oh my god one of the passengers has died and he's under police guard and um I walked up to them and I said, Zach Jones, and one of them just pointed to the cubicle behind them. The next one along. Oh, my goodness, I can't tell you the relief. I, I walked in there and um, he was naked. and I asked for a, for a blanket to cover him and he was literally shredded. Um, he looked like I could see all these glistening, like, shiny specks in one side of his face and his nose and um, he looked like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger did it, Arnie did it, at the end of the Terminator movies is how I sort of describe it. Um, yeah, there were bits of shattered windscreen glass and everything um, because the car rolled and um, the windscreen obviously shattered and the car actually burst into fr- to flames but luckily someone was driving past with a fire extinguisher in their car at 1230 in the morning or whenever that around that time and, and put the flames out. Um, the front seat passenger was trapped for an over an hour. Um, and I mean, but anyway, going back to him being in hospital there, I, um, oh, he reeked of alcohol. It was disgusting. And I just sort of went and I touched his hand and I, I said, you know, Zach, it's Mum. I'm here. And Jeff was next to me, and he said, I'm so sorry, Mum. He just kept saying it over and over again. And um, the, ner- you know, the male nurse that was sort of tending to him, you know, was looking after him well enough, but you could just tell that he's just like, fed up with seeing this, you know. Uh, Zach's injuries were far less um, severe than the passengers. And he, he said, oh, I'm going to be sick. And I just turned and, and there was a, a yellow wheelie bin and I just grabbed it and opened the lid just in time for him to vomit into it. And the smell, like it made me dry wretch Like it cleared the – I just – and I said to Jeff, you can go. And he said, no, no, I'm staying with you. And I, I didn't stay for, for that long because, um you know – there really wasn't much I could do and um, he was fine. He was okay. <sighs> and, uh, yeah, and, you know, the, the 18 months that it took to go to court, like I would have thought that would have been a wake-up call for Zach. But the torture of what he'd done and the realisation and knowing that he was probably going to go to jail um, and, and the toxic friendships and relationships he yeah. He was in, just meant that he spiralled further out of control. So between that, the crash and the, the time he was the sentencing date, where he was remanded in custody, it was an awful night. I, I I'm not religious, not, but I tell you, I prayed that, that they would all survive and that you know that they would be all right. And fortunately, they did. Mm.
0: And and I think it's important to um, say that the passengers, they all did live. Everyone had very serious injuries, but they all lived, uh, and we'll go into that in a a little minute. But why did Zach have the crash? What happened? Why was he in a car?
1: Um, Because he had been drinking and smoking a bong with these friends, and they... He writes about it. Obviously, it's just horrible to read um, in the book. But you know, they'd necked a bottle of vodka and um, realised that they'd run out of alcohol, and that, you know, it was like all night, all night bottle shop, sort of goading him. And he's like, yeah, why not? And so you know, instead of taking the keys off him or catching an Uber, or they they encouraged him to drive. And I'm not making excuses for Zach. He should not have got behind the wheel of that car. And I think the alcohol probably hadn't even, or well, that last bit that he, he drank, uh, as I read his book, and as he was driving, he um, he was starting to really just not even know where he was and his foot felt like lead. He, he couldn't control his speed. And, you know, he ran a red light and went flying airborne and fortunately missed the power pole and the traffic light. And, you know, because I actually drive past this intersection, it's three minutes from my house every day to work, and there's a big box, a metal box that must have all of the electrical stuff in for, you know, the, the cameras and the – and he went flying through the brick wall of um, a retirement village car park on the opposite side of the intersection where the, the – um, the car burst into flames, as I said. So he um, – and, and and he actually says in his crash chapter that he – so it was only him and the front seat passenger, and as he was sort of – as he'd started the car, these three girls j- jumped in the back seat. They wanted to come. I mean, oh, idiots. Like, no joke, I, I really want the law to be changed that if you knowingly get into the car with a drunk person – Yep, the driver's going to take the fall and do the jail time, but there has to be consequences. Like, do not get into the car with someone who's who's been drinking. If something goes terribly wrong, maybe you shouldn't be able to hold your hand out for a TAC payout or a victims of crime payout. You know, like, as I said, this is Zach's fault and he, he's owned it. I'm not making any excuses, but do not get into the car with someone who's been drinking. Like... I don't know, Narelle, getting away with your your life in a crash doesn't seem to be enough to get through the young people. I just, I don't know. I really, I don't know.
0: And I don't know either, Jane. I I wish I had the answers. I'm sure a lot of people out there do. But I just, so those people in the car with Zach, were they the friends that he was having a bong with and drinking vodka or whatever? Yeah, Yeah. okay.
1: Actually, he was, he was living in our investment property and, um, it was just a trap house for a whole lot of loser people. And, and it was, you know, um, they all ended up trashing it. And that's why I was estranged from my son for a while after we moved him. And I just was just so gutted that he could, you know, live like that. And it's just, you know, and I, I I suppose that's part of the reason why I wrote this from a parent's perspective because you, you just have to sometimes walk away and, and let them go. I mean I've never, ever um, abandoned my son. I mean, I'm his mother, obviously, you know i'm I'm when push comes to shove, I'm the only one who's ever going to be able to rely on but I just couldn't let him bring me down any further and every time I picked up the pieces for him he just respected me less and less you know and and it was just it was a fit I'd lost jobs because I had to keep leaving to go to the police stations and um and we'd given him this opportunity to to get a rental record and he just abused that opportunity as well you know and These people, I mean, this girlfriend that he had just, it was like a red rag to the bull. You know, you can't mix oil and water. And I, in the nicest possible way, really tried to sort of say to Zach that, you know, this really wasn't, I think you'll take my advice now, Narelle, let me just tell you that. Um, Because I want to see my son happy and I think all parents want to see their kids happy. And I think that... um, kids need to 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 understand that if there are red flags in a, in relationships if you're always arguing bickering and fighting and and your partner or your friends are trying to alienate you from your family and you know then ah, you need to run for the hills and you probably need to take your family's advice and your friends' advice and because they can often see things that you can't when you're in the midst of a bad relationship.
0: Unfortunately, it happens. You know, you think that, oh, what would they know? I really love her or I love him. I think we've all, well, a lot of us have been in that situation. They
1: say love is blind, but there's always red flags. There are always red flags. And, and you're right. It's just hard when, you know, that sort of young people fall in love. It's like, oh, God, this is, you know, this is forever, this this feeling There's you know, they don't realise there's as many fish in the ocean as ever came out. Well, that's what my grandmother used to say anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, when one door closes, another one opens in its place and it's usually better. As I said, Zach, um, he takes full ownership of it, but he definitely none of those passengers, all their families were at the hearing or the sentencing, which really surprised me. None of them, and, and I just couldn't understand that. You know, they, they they were injured. Like if if my son had been a passenger in a car, and was trapped in a car for an hour and had to have rods in his pins in his legs and learn to walk again, I would certainly be turning up to that court case. But they weren't there, and. They haven't been seen since, so I don't know whether they'll come out of the woodwork when they realise he's out of prison and, you know, perhaps when this book comes out. I don't know, but I know he'll have nothing to do with them because they weren't real friends. Real friends don't, they don't encourage you to drive. They take the keys off you. And this is what I want to say to, to teens and young adults. And you know, I mean Zach says in, in his book, knock them out if they have to, if you have to. They'll forgive you in the morning. Do not get into the car with someone who's drunk. And just real friends don't do that. They don't coast off you. They work. They they have jobs. They they just, these people just encourage Zach's. Um, drug use and really used him as a gravy train, I guess.
0: And I've got to say it certainly sounds like that. Look, um, I'm going to have to start um, uh, winding up, unfortunately, Jane, but I was just wondering could you take us through the day he was sentenced? I cannot imagine a worse day than maybe finding out that you know about the crash, but can you tell us about that? It was,
1: yeah, I mean, I think the worst day of my life because my son walked into the courtroom with me and he was led to the dock and he was referred to as the prisoner from then on um, and he didn't walk out the same way he walked in and he's, his life, he knew it was over and um, his freedom and you know, he wasn't going to see another sunset or sunrise for at least two and a half years. And just just hearing the details of the crash and, as I said, what was sort of said about Zach's child, well, well his, his his life, and, it, yeah, it was awful. But for me it was how long is he going to be taken away from the world and me? Yeah, it was very traumatic. It really was. And there were about 30 school kids, um, on a, obviously at the school excursion you know legal studies and i just really i just i hope they saw the state i was in just trying to like not hyperventilate and just okay. realise that not to do that to their families you know and they were and they were back there for the for the sentencing as well so that that so the hearing date and then the sentencing date um i didn't understand it i had a court uh, a lady came and tapped me on the shoulder, and I think she was like the court counselor or something, and just to support me and to. And you know, when they were reading all of the charges and the years, I'm thinking, oh my god, like this is adding up to some ridiculous amount. And then it, it ended up being four years and nine months with a minimum of two and a half years non parole. Zach, when he gets out, he won't be able to get his license for three years, so he'll be 29 and a half. And they also gave him an alcohol exclusion ban, which means he can't go into any licensed venue, be it a cafe or a game at the MCG with me or a restaurant for Mother's Day that serves alcohol, whether he drinks or not. So I don't know what that's going to mean for his, um, whether he can work in hospitality or, as I said, it's um, that's going to be a whole new learning curve when he actually does get out.
0: I, yeah, I, I hear your pain, but but also, I think it's very important that young people know that there's consequences to their actions. There's consequences to these choices.
1: I agree. I agree. And Zach needed to be punished properly for what he did, and I honestly think that he needed this long minimum like two and a half years as because he's seen them come in and out and in and out like he's been there longer than a lot of people you know six months here eight months there and then they're back in a couple of months after they get out he's had a a real chance to um through writing this book and my support and to be able and to, to obviously being in a situation where you have to be you have to learn to live with being alone. Being alone used to terrify him, you know, and, and to actually have the time to be clean and sober. Um, it saved his life. I, I really believe that. Um, and I'm damn sure when he gets out and when he does get his licence when he's 29 and a half, he will, he will respect it. <laughs> I mean, there has to be bigger consequences, and and he's um he's been given those, rightly so. Mm.
0: Yeah, he's been given a second chance, hasn't he? Really, and he sounds like he's um he's taken it, and uh, he's as you say, he's turned his life around. And I just hope that um you know people out there with their kids. Um, they listen to your story because it's it's heartbreaking
1: I would love I would love parents and grandparents to put our book in the hands of their teens before they get their learners and get into a cycle of binge drinking and like drug taking that as I said starts off sort of cool and whatever but it can kill you just just taking a pill at at a rave party and and it's not just getting behind the wheel under the influence it's driving recklessly, it's speeding, it's having too many people in your car, it's getting behind uh, push bike handlebars when you've been under the influence is a stupid thing to do, right? So I really want this book to be a wake-up call, a wake-up call for for kids to not get on the path Zach was on and for the ones that are to realise that they're reading their own stories if they keep going down that path
0: but they could end up in a coffin
1: instead of in prison.
0: So, Jane, with your book, um, when will it be released and how can people find the book or just keep updated as to when it will be released? You've got a website?
1: Yes, the website is Um People can actually scroll down and subscribe for the launch of the book and pre-sale information. There's also the, the nine news footage on Zach's crash and a blog, that's sort of constantly being updated. Um, the book is called WTF, which we all know what that means. Um, yeah. I've said it many times, I can tell you. and yeah, um, But why the fallen? Because I, I still shake my head at the massive fall that Zach's had from where where he should have been in his life, you know. He's lost really 10 years of his life and he's got a lot of catching up and making up to do. Um, there's a Facebook page, WTF, Why the Fallen, um, Jane Jones. I'm on Facebook. And, yeah, so obviously subscribing for the launch is is the main thing. But what, what we've decided to do, the book is at the second edit pass, At the moment, we're finalising the front cover and we've decided to not launch the book until Zach is released. His earliest parole is the 21st of November. Um, I think he should be at the launch of the book since he's co-written it and and I think people are going to want to talk to him and he's come up with a date which is the 9th of December this year which would be four years to the day of his crash and the difference between the person that made that decision four years ago to the person that's going to be standing there holding his book as a published author is just chalk and cheese. I think it's really, really poignant.
0: Yeah, I do too, Jane. Well, Jane. I hope you'll be there. (laughs) Uh, I would love to be. I would love to be, Jane. Um, And I suppose one last thing I wanted to um, say is that, we have been calling Zach's crash a crash for a reason. It wasn't an accident. It was a crash um, due solely to the actions of, um, of Zach, and that's why we call it a crash. It's not an accident. So- no,
1: he, he, he made the decision
0: to do the wrong thing. So it,
1: this wasn't an accident. It was an accident for the people, you know, in the car, uh, but not for Zach. <laughs> He, he had a crash because he, he, he did the wrong thing and he made, he made a terrible decision. I'm just very grateful I still have him.
0: Yeah, you're very lucky you still have him. And, and I might say he's very lucky he's got you. So, look, Jane, um, thanks so much for sharing what is such a painful story with such raw honesty. Um, as I just said, Zach is a very, very fortunate young man to have someone like you behind him beside him and with him every step of the way. Thank you, Jane.
1: Thank you, Narelle. Thank you, Narelle.
0: Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave a rating and even a review and please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya.